You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Artie's Story. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. Last time I shared with you my personal testimony, especially how God did something very wonderful for me. There have been other things which I did not include include in my account. Today I'm going to share my wife's testimony with you and I hope you come to realise as is demonstrated by what happened to us, that God is good and cares about us. More than that, he has a plan for each of us, as is explained in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Here God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So let's hear Artie's story. She says, My name is Adriana. Most people call me Artie. I am Len's wife. I was born in Holland. My parents were not wealthy, but we had enough until the Second World War when Germans overran Holland and we had to flee from our home with nothing else than our clothes and a few other essentials loaded onto my father's bicycle. Food was scarce, and we mostly ate what many would call animal food, especially the pulp from sugar beet with the juice removed. I now loathe the smell of sugar beet pulp. When I was two years old, my mother died. My father did his best to raise us four children, three girls and one boy. I was the youngest. Some church friends arranged my widower father to meet a widow, the mother of two older girls. The widower and the widow later married, and we became a combined family with six children. I didn't accept my new mother very well, and there were many arguments in our home, although as time went on my father and stepmother became much more loving to each other. When I was school age, I went to a local school. I tried my best, but back then, children were required to attend school Monday to Friday plus Saturday mornings. That was a problem for me because my family went to church on Saturday mornings, as it is the day God commanded us the Sabbath. No, we were not Jews, we were Seventh-day Adventists. Each Saturday, instead of going to school, I went to church. But come Monday mornings, my teacher would tease me and try to put me down because of my church attendance and school non-attendance. If it was in this day and age, that teacher would have to, fa- have to face a charge of a harassment. But back then... Teachers reign supreme. I suppose, scholastically, I was an average student, but I was quite sporty and was a very good runner. My first job 
was working in an office. The work was uninspiring and the office manager kept glancing lecherous looks in my direction. Because I knew about God and because I studied my Bible, I knew what was right and wrong. It was my intention to do what was right. In the city of Arnhem where I lived, the bridge over the River Rhine was destroyed during the war, but was later rebuilt. That bridge was made famous in the film A Bridge Too Far. We lived on the other side of the river. One evening it had already become dark, and I was walking home across the bridge. I could hear footsteps coming behind me. This is probably a girl's worst nightmare, and thoughts of a rapist attacking me caused me much anxiety. Ahead of me was a group of people, but they were all drunk and couldn't be of much help. I hurried on, praying that the Lord would keep me safe. Suddenly a man on a bicycle came by and, without stopping, called out to me to jump up on the parcel carrier on the back. I gladly accepted, although, in retrospect, this could have gotten me into worse trouble than I was escaping from. But the man was not a threat, and on the other side of the river let me off near my home. I was safe. Since then I have wondered, was this an angel sent to help me? I don't know, but he may have been. Only God knows. When I was able to afford a bicycle, I rode it instead of walking to and from work. Many Dutch people own and use bicycles as their main form of transport. In fact, there are more bicycles in Holland than there are people. Of course, there is excellent public transport and lots of cars, but a Dutch person without a bicycle is either handicapped or too young or old to ride. Once I rode with my girlfriend 150 kilometres in one day back home from attending a youth camp. In my early twenties I attended a Bible college, studying to be a Bible worker. This was a co-educational college and there were some boys I liked and some boys who liked me, but nothing serious ever developed. I was working later in the office of the headquarters of the Adventist Church, and it dawned on me one day that most of the female workers were what in Australia we would call old maids, and I didn't want to be one of them. I decided to get my driver's license, and on the day I passed I learned that I also qualified to become part of a youth program to go to Australia. This would mean that I would work for two years in Australia, then have to return to my home country. The Australian and Dutch governments would pay for my trip to Australia, but I would have to save up and pay for my return trip in two years' time. It, but it would be possible also to emigrate. My sister and her family lived in Sydney, and I at least would have accommodation to start out with. 
My first job in Australia was working in a cafe in Hunter Street in Sydney. I served at the counter, was involved in accounting, and in answering telephone calls. It wasn't easy for me to get to know the imperial money, pound, shilling, and pence, because in Holland we were used to a decimal currency system. The symbols used for pounds weight. LBS, I thought meant loo bushes. This latter part of my work was quite stressful and difficult, because although I learned English in school, these Australians talked too fast for me, and they had such a strange accent. While in Sydney, I met a young man who seemed to like me. He lived in Melbourne. Eventually, I decided to go to Melbourne as well, so that I could live closer to Frank, and I could see another part of Australia. This I did, and got a job in a Catholic home for old people, working as a nurse. No, I had not trained as a nurse, but I did nurses' work. As a child, I had severe eczema. And working, bathing, and washing patients caused the eczema to flare up again. This was a blow to my possible future work as a nurse. Frank belonged to some apostolic religion where the adherents followed and read sermons in church, sent by someone in Holland who claimed to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was uncomfortable with this religion. As it did not seem to be in harmony with what I knew of the Bible, there were some other things about the relationship with Frank that made me uneasy. I desired love, but there was a tension between that desire and what I knew was God's will for me. I prayed a lot about it, but God was working for my happiness, and I didn't have a clue. That it was happening. In the book of Isaiah, chapter sixty-six and verse twenty-four, is this statement. It says, "Before they call, I will answer." Toward the end of my time in Melbourne, I wanted to attend a camp meeting, where lots of the Adventist believers would meet in a huge canvas marquee. On a camping area in Nutterwadding for a week of revival meetings. Those times were good, and I wanted to attend. On the Saturday morning, I was late, and as I walked into the youth tent, the minister was already preaching. The theme was about not being unequally yoked together. He was using the text on this subject from Second Corinthians, chapter six and verse fourteen, which says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness?" I'd been troubled about being in a relationship with someone. Who had such different spiritual values and views as I did, and this sermon 
hit me right between the eyes, so to speak. It was a personal message from God to me. Afterwards, Frank was supposed to pick me up and take me home, and I was very displeased to have waited for over an hour for him to come. Unhappy about the relationship with Frank, I firmly resolved to leave Melbourne and move on to Adelaide in order to sort matters out in my own mind. I made a pact with myself and with God. I prayed about this decision and said to God, Please, Lord, give me a sign of what I should do. Please give me a job. Well, we're going to stop there and hear the rest of this story a little later. Before the break, in sharing Artie's story with you, I shared how that she determined to do what was right, and she felt very uncomfortable about the relationship she had with Frank, who was a member of an apostolic group. 
a strange religious group, according to her. And so she decided that she would make this a matter of prayer. She also decided that she would like to go to Adelaide and there um, give at least six weeks to sort his thoughts out. And she prayed, Lord, please give me a sign of what I should do. Please give me a job. Well, anyhow, just after this, she says, Frank ran me, rang me, and I told him I wanted six weeks, and if in that time I hadn't succeeded in getting work, I'd go back to Melbourne. A young man, Hines, a Bible worker who I already knew, was very helpful for me and found me accommodation in Adelaide. It was at a boarding house in Wayville. A dear old lady, Mrs Byrne, ran the establishment. One evening I went with Hines to a Bible study and we arrived back at the boarding house at around 8pm. At that time I had no job and was living on my savings. When I went inside, there was a pleasant young man whom I'd never seen before sitting in the kitchen chatting with Mrs Byrne. We were introduced and he seemed helpful and said he had put a good word in for me to get a job if a chance came up. I showed him my papers. Soon afterward I went to my room. My impressions of this stranger were not spectacular, but I did like his voice. His name was Len. That was on a Tuesday night. As I think about the situation I was in, I had no job and knew almost no one in this new city. I was quite vulnerable. I spent a lot of time praying that God's will be done and if he would get me a job, and so on. Before the end of the week, I got a temporary job that was for six weeks only. On Saturday morning, Mrs Byrne and I caught a bus and went south from Wayville to Edwardstown to go to the what was then known as the Southern Memorial Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was standing alone outside before the services began when Len, who I met on the previous Tuesday night, walked up to me and asked if I would like to sit in church with him. I agreed. What happened after this I just cannot explain. It was as if electricity was zapping between us, something like a magnetic force attracting me to him. I wondered if God was working this way, causing me to feel like I did. Mrs Byrne invited Len home to have lunch with us, and in the afternoon the two of us walked together at Waterfall Gully. We walked together and talked together, and all the time I felt comfortable with this young man. He was a Christian and held the same beliefs as I did. It was obvious he liked me, and I liked him. For tea that evening we dined together at his landlady's home, and later later went to a family in the Adelaide Hills 
where Len had an insurance appointment. On the way back home after Len's appointment, we stopped at a lookout where we could see the city lights and we talked for a long time. God had been working behind the scenes and brought us together in a miraculous way. The temporary six-week job was extended and then later I worked at the state electoral office. This was a full-time job. The pieces were coming together and I was in love. Len and I saw a lot of each other and decided that we were right for each other, especially as we each had prayed fervently for God's help in directing our futures. A few weeks after we met, we were engaged. One weekend, Len went home to his parents who lived in the country and announced that he had met this girl, and she was Dutch. His mother said, What do you want a Dutch girl for? But as it proved, Len's mum and I got on really well. Len and I were married in November that year, about six months after we first met. We've been married 52 years now and are as much in love as ever. As one ages, love remains, but in certain ways it changes. At first, as with us, it is urgent, intense and desperate. It is full of promise, hope and wonder. And also as with us, when two people grow older together, love is expressed in different ways. It is not desperate and urgent. It is more familiar and restful. Then, as two people reach the senior citizen stages of life, love becomes more like a comfortable pair of slippers that you've used a lot, and if they were not there, you would feel very lost. So, young people, don't get the idea that older couples don't love each other because they're not touching, hugging and kissing all the time. Their love for each other is a well-established acceptance of each other. Yes, Len and I hold hands when we walk together. And besides being husband and wife, we are friends. I must remark on one thing at this point. Len has never tried to rule over me. He encouraged me to be my own person, that is, to have my own identity and to have my own interests and responsibilities. The same can be said for me. I respected that Len would have interests that were not very interesting to me, but we have had enough interests that we both liked and that we would do together. Both Len and I are very aware that our meeting was more than just coincidence. It happened following when both of us prayed fervently for God's leading and intervention, 
and God did not disappoint us. So here we are, Bible-believing Christians, still very much in love and grateful to the Lord for all his blessings. We have three grown-up children and five grandchildren. If you are a younger person, I want to share with you the order of priority we have established. Of first importance in our lives is God. He is our creator, sustainer and redeemer. God is to be first, last and best in everything. Of second priority is each other. Originally, God made man and woman and instituted marriage. God intended that couples would grow old together as we are doing. Third in our priority list is our children and other family members. And then next comes other people. I suggest if you want a happy home life, take on these suggestions I've made. They're like a good recipe for life. So this is the end of my story, and I pray that the Lord will bless you as he has blessed us, and I pray that you will commit your lives to him as we have done. In serving and honouring him, there are great benefits, peace and much happiness. Just now 